0: This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! Common Practice, a monthly podcast about the things people do things to do with creativity, collaboration, cultural democracy, and the commons. Hello and welcome to Common Practice. Today we're going to be looking at archiving, the process of archiving, and specifically the process of archiving jubilee arts. Now we've talked about jubilee arts and archiving before, we've talked to Steve Trow, and now I'm talking to the person at the centre of the project, Brendan Jackson. So Brendan, hello and welcome Hello. Hello to you. And can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about Jubilee's work in the 1980s, because that's when I first met you, or we first met. Yeah. So can you take us back to the 1980s and tell us a little bit about what Jubilee was doing then? Jubilee
1: started in 74, that kind of second generation of community arts groups sort of blossoming out from your neck of the woods in London. It started as a street theatre group primarily. By the 80s, they started started to... um, become more multidisciplinary in the sense that they would have employed a visual artist, a mural worker, they would um, have a dance uh, worker, they would have a print worker and so on and so forth. I joined um, them mid-end of the 80s uh, as a photographer and it was very much describing themselves actually as a multimedia team t- before that term was used in the digital sense. Uh, so it was very much about cross-disciplinary practice, and so you would have a drama worker, a dancer, a musician, um, a photographer working with a group of break dancers to create a forty-minute break, uh, breakdance ballet, for example. That was pretty much the practice, and of course, he branched out into the '90s, into into the digital realm, and yeah, sort of went more, more multimedia in a different down a different route. Uh, winning various awards for its multimedia productions and collaborations with people like Geese Theatre. Jubilee won a BAF- the first interactive BAFTA, I can't remember the year, the 90s, but for a programme that was uh, used in prisons uh, around uh, anger management, actually.
0: So that's the short story. OK, and the, so the range of work that was later going to be documented covered covered what we now call multimedia and uh, involved a whole series of different communities. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jubilee was always working from the point that the archive itself is covers some 20 years, 74 to 94. 94 was when there was kind of, in a sense, less photo documentation happening and more digital work. And the it, it covers different kind of projects. I mean, they were primarily, they had one pen. As I understand it, they had one Pentax 35mm camera and uh, everyone just passed it around. So you can often see some of the images of Kali taken by children simply because of the height and the angle. So the documentation is quite eclectic, but years on, they're very interesting images, visual images, actually, which from my background in photography, I find them really fascinating, the kind of almost vernacular photography aspect of it. But it's kind of, they also show a range of community actions, community initiatives, the people involved, the places, the landscapes. So they're kind of quite a unique record. There's some 20,000 images, maybe more, black and white negatives and 35 mil uh, color transparencies In fact, my first job when I joined Jubilee was I had to learn how to do petty cash and keep the books. And the other thing was they said, can you make some contact strips of uh, all these piles of negatives we've got piled up in the back room there? So I kind of became familiar with the work
0: uh,
1: of my pre- predecessors.
0: Right, so you began, as you continued, documenting in one way or another. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and we came back years later, um, 2000, and I think it was 2012, 13. Uh, I was doing some work with some archives and um, the stuff had been deposited with them in around 2002. And I said, you should really do something with this. And often people would talk about well, do you remember when Jubilee used to do this and thought, well, we've got this great record of stuff. We, we, we made a series of, I think, 12 exhibitions over 18 months, like in a community centre, a library, places where Jubilee had worked in the 70s and 80s. Um, we'd go to a, a Tibbington Tenants AGM and we'd have a slide projector set up next to the Chocolate Fountain, and we just show the work back, Um, and we had such a great response to it that we made a very small website at the time, um, and we thought we really should do something with this and bring it to a wider audience,
0: hence the website as it is today. Right, well, before we go on and talk about the process of documentation and how it's uh, expanded, let me ask you to go back in time a little, because you didn't work continually for Jubilee, from, from the 80s to now, there was a point when you left and then there was a point when Jubilee ended and then there was a point when you reconvened some of the old team to begin the process of documenting. That's right. So could you tell us what you were doing when you left Jubilee and then something about when and why Jubilee itself ended? Uh, I mean, for me, it was a kind of quite slow process of um,
1: disengagement, so to speak, because Jubilee was expanding its work quite massively. I think by the end of the 90s, it had a turnover of something like 2.4 million a year. Um, And half of that came in grants from the Arts Council or Sunwell Council, but half of it was pretty much... Proposing projects, making partnerships with the health authority, a regeneration group. So, so I, I actually, actually, the beginning of two thousands, found myself, kind of, it wasn't called the job wasn't called that, but it was kind of like lead artist with the with West Bromwich regeneration group, um, which was looking to redevelop this massive uh, uh, estate uh, t- of tower blocks um, just adjacent to the town centre. The metro, there was a new metro line being coming into town. Um, and the Ling estate was all these early 60s uh, small and large tower blocks. And I remember at the time, the reason they decided the tenants wanted them knocked down pretty much from consultations and they wanted to restore the old street patterns, um, which is pretty much what happened over a period of 15 years. Um, and it was the biggest housing development in Sandwell for some 40 odd years. These were tower blocks that the, the repair bill on the tower on the The flat roofs were more than the housing repair budget for the whole borough at the time, so it made sense. They only kept two of the tower blocks. And my job was to engage artists, because obviously people were being, what they call, decanted from the tower blocks, and they'd go away for two years until the new housing was built and they'd come back. Something like 80% of people did return. And my job was to kind of set up a series of kind of arts projects to engage, to keep those, those, those groups engaged. You know whether it was a group of streets, whether it was there was one tower block where we had a visual artist. She had two parties with the residents every every week, basically, and she created a whole series of artworks for the one tower block they were going to renew, um, which got because it's pointed new roofs. It was called the Hong Kong Hilton locally, um, and it was all a lot. Majority of the electricity was coming off photovoltaic. Uh, panel. so it was a, this whole new refurbishment over two years, and so she, and she created all these artworks with them, um, which were personal to the houses but also for the public spaces, telling people stories. These are people who lived there, moved in there in their twenties, and didn't really want to move out. They were now in their fifties and sixties, so it became an over fifties tower block. Um, so, my job was to kind of coordinate a bunch of, I think we had something like 12 different artists working with, you know, a tenants group, a women's group, a church group, uh, a school, primary school group, um, to actually, as, as part of the whole regeneration process. And we worked with um, an architectural lecturer called Jane Randall from University College London, I think, uh, who was also kind of giving her wider perspective on. Design and perspectives. So I was kind of moving more into sort of different roles, really, while having a sort of still having a kind of relationship with Jubilee, um, and eventually, yeah, left because the project was getting kind of a bit crazy. Um, um, Jubilee got subsumed into what was called C-Plex, a redevelopment. There was a whole redevelopment working with an architectural Will um around 2000, a redevelopment downtown centre. Eighty percent of which has come to pass, pretty much. Something like eight hundred million pounds worth of redevelopment: new college, new bus station, new police station, new health centre, new swimming pool, new leisure centre, new cultural building, which was what Jubilee was going to move into. Um, that's another story entirely. The public it was it got renamed by the Arts Council, um, and yeah, I we the original uh, Jubilee team uh, dispersed really. Um, voluntarily and also not so voluntarily in some cases, um, in terms of, uh, it was a case of too many cooks in the kitchen at that time in terms of the redevelopment. Uh, And I basically went freelance, um, followed up a lot of the international contacts that Jubilee made, particularly in Eastern Europe, which nobody else seemed to be interested in. Um, And developed projects with the Institute of Polish Culture, Warsaw University, Borderland Foundation in Poland over the next, I know, 10 years. But also kind of kept a relationship with the archives um, in Sandwell Um, because Jubilee did a lot of work with the archives and with uh, groups associated with some of the libraries and museums. And really, yeah, that's how the rebooting of the archive uh, came to pass really.
0: So it's taken you 18 months, is that correct, to, to actually move it from having the idea of rebooting the archive to having the grand finale when it's officially rebooted? Well, we, we, we kind of thought, we, we, we wanted to make a website back in 2014,
1: but there just wasn't the, enough funding really to do it properly, so we, we didn't really want to kind of do it half assed. Um, and we did a couple of other projects uh, with Heritage Lottery funding one project called Maiden looking at the kind of history of the town through the archives which actually worked really well We made a book exhibitions, website which is still online, maidenholbury.co.uk and that was very well received and That really gave us a door to go back to the funders to say, hey, we we can do something really interesting with the Jubilee Archive. So we applied for Heritage Lottery money and we got some Arts Council money and other little bits and pieces. We had enough of a budget to do properly. We didn't want to do it in a a messy way and essentially wanted to make a new digital library, digitise over 3,000 images, uh, create I think it's 24 case studies of projects. There's a lot of resources, there's a learning pack. And we commissioned some uh, new artists to kind of make work in response to the archive, just in the way Jubilee would do back in the day. Um, So we had some kind of live activity happening, um, workshops, training sessions. A lot of people were interested in, we were working at a a Bearwood uh, um, community co-op had a space and they were really interested in having some web training workshops which we did um about okay this is how we do it this is different software you can use yeah that kind of usual stuff and that had a real mixed bunch of people coming to it you know some arts administrators some freelance artists some local community groups uh, a guy who ran a Cypriot Rex restaurant where <laughs> <laughs> you do his website he had like a Dreamweaver website from 1998 (laughs) that didn't work anymore Um, and that worked really well Uh, we had like oral history training sessions um, and we brought in different kind of specialists to kind of um, this is of course after Covid and a a lot of stuff had shut down a lot of groups weren't meeting the archives no one had been to the archives for two years pretty much because they'd been shut so there's an opportunity to also to restore to to Make people aware of these resources that are in Sandwell and are interesting and that can you can do stuff with. So yeah, there was this yeah. So it's period of eighteen months. That kind of public access stuff, public facing, and we may we also created an exhibition which went up in a historic um, museum space, Hayden Hall. Uh, she's a beautiful, old kind of neo gothic building, nineteenth century building, in a park, and we just main installation, we did a load of workshops there over two months, like we have a poetry workshop in response, always working in response to the archive photographs. We had some kids' workshops, we had a badge-making workshop. We had one artist, Richard Franks, who worked with a group of young carers. We were kind of looking for those kind of groups that Jubilee would work with back in the day, those groups that had less opportunities. Um, And they created their own response to the exhibition. They, They were really interested in the protest materials from from the eighties, and they created their whole series of protest placards, which was installed in the grounds of the of the um, of the uh, of Hayden Hall, and the exhibition was due to be on for two months, but they liked it so much they kept it until Christmas. So it, we had about three thousand visitors a month, which is pretty good. Um, so job, and then the website was launched sort of last um, September. We've been adding a few things to it because obviously there's been different kind of commissions um, that are recorded films and material that's on on the website that people can can see. And it's also to show people how you can work with archive materials in an interesting, creative way.
0: So did you attract uh, both people who had been uh, working with or participants in projects from the 80s and 90s and people who are younger than that yes
1: yeah 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 i mean all, all, all the workshops certainly the ones at hayden hall we you know we uh, we did uh, some uh puppet making workshops with one of the uh, visual artists who used to work with Jubilee in the 80s, who did all these community celebration events with shadow puppets, giant shadow puppets. And and he does these kind of 3D puppet workshops. So we said, just come and do some workshops. And that primarily attracted young people. Although, as it turns out, their parents got involved as well, which is great. So everyone had a great time. Um, and again, the, the poetry workshops, uh, we had some black country poets that were doing the workshops. Uh, Adrian Johnson, Emma Purse, Billy Spankman. And again, they attracted kind of a mixed bunch of people that didn't necessarily have anything to do with Jubilee back in the day. But yeah, we did have people come, come to certain sessions. So we had uh, Steve Trejo, you interviewed uh, recently, one of the founders of Jubilee. He came and did a kind of a, a special tour of the exhibition, his sort of take on it. We had an afternoon with him. And a bunch of people came from back in the day, you know, to that. So it was opening it up to those kind of you know, uh, well we just didn't know who, we we'd contacted all the local history groups as well because we knew they'd have kind of an interest in that time frame and a lot of a lot of the people in those local history groups who are in their fifties or sixties now many of them actually, as it turns out, were involved with you know they might have been involved with the poster campaign or a tenant campaign or anti-fascist group you know at the time, um, so that was kind of that was kind of nice and out of it. Yeah,
0: there's a few groups that are interested in making making their own web archive now, which is nice. When you started this process, and I know you said earlier that you, you got some money from the Arts Council and you got some money from the Heritage, Heritage money, but how did you put together a team? Was it comprised of old members of Jubilee or former members of Jubilee or... Were yeah. there people yeah. working locally on the process of archiving that you brought in? And I presume this wasn't just you, and it wasn't no. just you and Steve Trone. No, no, no. So how did you assemble the core team? Um, well, when when
1: we left Jubilee, there was a group of us that formed a group called Laundry, which this is back in 2005, which is constituted organization which had a manifesto of no five-year plan, um, no buildings, and uh, no fixed structures, (laughs) Uh, which was basically, let's have a group of artists who want to work together when we want to work together and to our own agenda. And that's acted as a vehicle for applying for funding as a kind of legally constituted group. That's the group that's actually partnered with international partners over the the years as well. Um, So, we had kind of a group of like-minded people in a way, all freelancers, some of whom had an association with Jubilee. So the web designer, for example, Paul Lacey, actually was part of Jubilee's media team in 2000. And he was part of some of the first work in Poland, actually, in 2002, I think. Um, kind of trusted hands as well in some respects. Richard Frank's also at the Jubilee back in the day. Uh, he runs his own little kind of graphics kind of agency. Uh, we knew... Again, trusted times, you know, who had believed in the principles of community engagement, had the skills, uh, had the social skills to do it, had local contacts themselves. It was Rich, actually, who who actually had the contact with the carers group. And he was like, "This this is a group we should work with. Can we put this into application? And the answer was yes. Beverly, who also used to work at Jubilee with me, she's the kind of, she was coordinating a lot of the material. Um but we also then had people that were we just didn't know like for example um the poets have had no relationship with Jubilee back in the day whatsoever, but we know they're kind of local uh, activists and local doing stuff um and <clears throat> we found a, a two young artists called Hipkiss and granny granny I keep on calling granny sorry Jonathan um uh who have a uh, had a um Kind of art cafe in Sturchley in Birmingham, uh, near to where my daughter lives, and they were doing this thing called Woodland Games in a local park, and they were working with recycled materials. And if you took, if you saw their pictures, you could actually think that was Jubilee in the late seventies, early eighties, because of the activity using, just just you know, performance, dance, environmental issues, and we thought you know these guys could be interesting to work with. So we we went to talk to them and said, okay, if we put an application in, are you are you interested? And they were like, yeah, we 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 we've they've done a, they've done a thing on Wednesday, in Wensbury Marketplace in Sanwell, but they didn't know much about Jubilee. We sent them the photographs, and they're like, oh my god, this is amazing stuff. This is really inspiring to see. There's this history of this work. We got the money. We had them as named artists. We we basically said to them, here's your funding. We gave them a the figure we'd like you to go and do work at the Oak House in West Bromwich, which is, uh, again, a kind of old Tudor building, which is one of the few green spaces in West Bromwich. And Jubilee always used to have community celebrations in this space every year. So we had these big banners of self-portraits from the mid-'80s of people from that area, all on the... as a sort of mini-exhibition, all along the railings. And they went and did this two-week residency with staff there, uh, who, again, just reopened, really, after COVID. And they, they just just worked on environmental issues, made a giant nematode Chinese dragon thing for parading around. Made a lovely, there's a lovely film of it on the website, of documentation, and they did loads of workshops, you know, they were, they were working with all, they just really basic materials, you know, paint, cardboard, yeah, fabrics, and they recycle everything. So, that was great, that was like, you could see, they're the kind of, that generation that's kind of interested in that kind of practice. So, but, they were new to us completely. And what was interesting, they also got then commissioned by the museums to do more work over the summer, so that was nice. Um, and I'm sure we might have the opportunities to work with them again. So, you know, it's, just, it's that opportunity to kind of bring in, bring in new people, really.
0: OK, a follow-up on something you just said there, Brendan. You you just finished by saying um, it'd it would be interesting to work with them again. Does that mean that... Out of the archival process, uh, uh, another continuing group has formed. Yes, I mean, what we've been one of the things we've been doing saying
1: to different groups or different people who are engaged is is this material is there. Samuel Archives are our friends and allies, they would welcome anybody to come and work with this material. Um, We can, if you want. You can put in your own application completely, you know, and we can give you some advice and, yeah, put our name down as support and give you access to the materials and you can go and do something with that materials. So I'd like to see that happening more, more the more opportunities for that to happen because there is just so much interesting stuff there, you know, whether it's about uh, some of the social issues, whether it's uh, the, the oral history material, uh, whether it's uh, taking a particular project and doing a newer version of it. Like there was a project called, which is one of my babies, Sun in Black and White, which was basically giving strangers cameras. This is when the first kind of little digital Olympus, well, they weren't digital because they were still film, but the first automatic cameras were coming out in 1990. The idea was just give complete strangers as much as possible. Yeah, the lady, the, 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 the guy who runs the, the Pakistani guy who runs the video store, um, please record a week of your life with the archives and you, you ha- whatever picture you choose will be in the exhibition. Um, uh, and that was actually the fifty-two people, 54 people, and 276 pictures. They couldn't manage to do one. Um, There's kind of an uh, interesting record of the year and a whole range of the, you know, Represented the demographic of Sandal at the time. That's a project that actually an artist, so I'm assuming, in photography or film, could go, "Hey, let's let's take that idea and run with it again. Let's make a a 2025 version." Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's open open to possibilities. We're we're open to suggestions, really, and so, and so are Sandal Archives. It doesn't rely on it doesn't rely on me or Beverly
0: or Steve Troy. So you, Beverly, and Steve Trow are yeah. all part of Laundry? Steve, no, correct? Steve Trow isn't. Um, he's, you and Beverly yeah, are? We're, we're kind of part of the loose membership of Laundry, which has about eight members at the moment, really. And Laundry sits in the background as a legal entity which any of the eight can draw upon when they need to yes. act formally... In terms of grant applications yeah. or, or approaching yeah. other institutions?
1: The, the, the only rule we have is that, that it's not just a individual doing a project. You need to engage with one or two other members in some shape or form. So, for example, we did a, uh, myself and Beverly and Jeff did a project called Keepers for Light about Portland Bill Lighthouse um, a couple of years back. That was an application just to the Arts Council. Jeff and me were the named artists, Beverly was coordinating, and that was to make a film and a book and an exhibition about Portland Bill Lighthouse in the south of England, which is actually made by Chansey's Glass Factory, which is in Smethwick, and there's a big uh, redevelopment of the heritage site there. We partnered with the, the Heritage Trust. Um, so, the yeah, the deal is you have to kind of do some sort of collaboration, really. But... Um, and co-
0: contribute to paying for the accounts to be done. No, I mentioned, that's, I, I mentioned that because it's it's an unusual and it seems to me very interesting model. So you don't commit yourselves to a planned range of activities no. or to a timetable. No. It just exists so that you can pull it out of your back pocket as needed. Yes. I mean, the, when when
1: we originally... Uh, I mean, originally it was when it was really set up with almost a slightly different group of people Um, we were approached by Warsaw University to be part of this um, project that was across seven countries it was EU funding and they wanted an English partner and Jubilee didn't exist anymore so they came and said what could you be a partner yes we're an unincorporated group here's our constitution we have a bank account with two cheque signatories we do legal accounts etc 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 fit the bill and so Laundry has done one, two, three, four international projects with those partners through EU funds over the years uh, as the English partner. Um, and and then it's just a question of actually drawing in an appropriate group of people um, to deliver some of that work, whether it's like training or um, practical oral history work. I mean, yeah, oral history workshops in Poland or wherever it might be. Um, yeah so uh, which kind of you know long route it led me to Tbilisi because I, I came here through a project with Borderland some twenty twenty thirteen 2013 we did a summer school with Borderland um, and yeah so we yeah because of, cause, cause of, of our experience of the kind of huge regeneration project and all the things that can go wrong with it in the early 2000s we were like you know let's just have something we can. And at the time we said we want to do something local, but also international. That was our two year. Can we make something local that will will link internationally or vice versa? So we did a project during the European year of intercultural dialogue. We had a two year program with partners in Bulgaria, Crete, uh, Poland. And we did work in Birmingham, in Warsaw, Warsaw in England, uh, in and in Leeds, and we also did work in Poland, in Bulgaria, in Mas, um, in Skopje, Maced- uh, North Macedonia, uh, and in Crete. And that was kind of we had like a different gr- you know groups of four, five, six artists from England going across, uh, delivering workshops and residencies, sharing practice, and that worked nicely. And it was like yeah, we didn't want to have to write three-year plans.
0: Right, I should I should have asked you earlier um, Arlene will never forgive me because she always starts the podcast that she does by saying I'm in Lamy, New Mexico and where are you, Brendan? And I failed to do that and obviously from what you've just been saying you're not currently in Warsaw or you're not in Dudley so could you tell me where you are or tell us where you are I'm and what you're doing right now currently in Tbilisi in the Caucasus
1: in Georgia which is... Got Russia to the north, Azerbaijan to the east, uh, Armenia and Turkey to the south, and the Black Sea to the west. Um, and I first came here with a project with a group called Pogranica doing training workshops with young cultural entrepreneurs, shall we say, or curators, uh, artists, designers. Um, yeah, and yes, of done some projects here in the past um did a little last year's commission to do a book which i have you got in the post little polish book of Tbilisi, um, which is looking at polish georgian connections over two centuries uh published it was printed in english and it's just going to be second edition that was kind of nice project to do um and yeah so and and i've obviously been in back in West Bromwich, in England, working on the project, the Jubilee project, when and needed. Of course, the advantage of doing something that's digital
0: and online is also it doesn't really matter where you are. Absolutely, yes.
1: Except except when you need to do the Uh face-to-face stuff.
0: Now, one of the things you did say earlier was that out of the archives, you've produced, amongst many things, you've commissioned new works, I understand that, and there have been uh, documentaries made. But you've also got an activity pack. Is that correct?
1: Yes, 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 yes. I mean, it's one of those things that when you apply to funding to Heritage, Heritage Lottery, they like to see how you can kind of push push the envelope and share that work. And an activity pack, a learning pack, is a useful thing to, to make. We've done them on different projects in the past. Um, and, yeah, put it online, make it available for people to download. And this one was made, there's something like 60 pages of it. And it's really based on the activities of the project. So um, it's got some uh, workshops in there about, okay, if you're working, doing a poetry workshop and here's here's some archive materials, here's Hayden House, here's some people that used to live in Hayden House from the archives. And it sort of shares the practice of, you know, the different practitioners. So um, Rich Franks, the work that he did in terms of graphics um and the art of protest it sort of explains how what his approach was and what how you might use that with your group whether it's a group of young people whether it's a group of older people in in a sense it's kind of quite a it can have quite a collective audiences. It could be a school group. It could be, you know, a youth group. It could be a community worker. It, it could be another artist too. I mean, and we also then had people from the museums and the archives kind of having a bit of a editorial role in that, because, uh, for example, at the Oak House and Hayden Hall in the summer, they have these little little kind of coloring activity packs for kids, because the parents come to the museum and want to spend time, and so. We invented a couple, uh, one of which was like, you know, uh, g- can you go out and draw all the flowers, different flowers that are laid out in the gardens at the Oak House? Because it's been pretty much wildflower meadow now. So we made these little packs up, you know, with a board uh, during the exhibition. Um, all They all kind of went with like, a bunch of felt tips and off kids went happy for two hours exploring and coming back. So they're given certain tasks. So we've kind of re- that's the kind of core of the activity pack apart from suggesting how you might use uh, photographs for you know, uh, uh, oral history sessions uh, memorabilia sessions uh, reminiscence sessions so on and so forth um, so quite a lot of downloads no idea who's downloading it of course but um, obviously the archives and the museum staff have got you know, printed out various pages that they're using and will continue to use because that stuff doesn't particularly date it's not time fixed so, yeah, it's a good thing to do.
0: Quite, um, we, we know from past projects people do appreciate them and use them. So, or make up their own versions mm, of them. So, they, yes, they can just serve as inspirations or guides to how you might do this yourself. Exactly. So, just to finish off then, Brendan, um, what now you've done this and the archive has been through its formal finale and the activities you've been describing have taken place and have begun to uh, lead to other things. What for you and for Laundry, and for the archives themselves, what do you see happening next? Um, PR, PR, PR. Um, I mean, we did
1: some PR. We had quite, but it was very much on a local level. Um, So we've set up an Instagram page, because that's one way to promote stuff, get it out there. Obviously, we've got a Facebook group, um, but you know now, for example, it's about. I'm just about to do a press release for the British Journal of Photography. They have a submissions page on their website. It's kind of looking at the stuff that they they prominent profile may or may not be of interest to them, but we just push the stuff out there to try and get a wider audience. I mean, we had pretty, despite only using local publicity. Um and we did a few radio interviews locally on kind of local radio. I mean I think we had something like in the first month we had something like thirty thousand hits on the website, which is like where are they all coming from, actually. Um yeah, Japan. We had a bunch of people looking at me from Japan. So I'm quite how how yeah, so I mean, so it's it it is just, you know, the, the website's robust for it should last ten years quite easily. We've really kind of spent a bit of money, money on the making it sufficiently robust that it's not going to kind of break down. Um, and uh, so now we're just promoting. For example, one of the artists who we commissioned, who is a son, a family member, so to speak, Jack Tro, son of Steve Tro, who is a theatre uh, producer, writer, actor. And we commissioned him to just make some response to, so this is the stuff your parents used to do back in the day. Would you like to go and do some performance stuff? He did some workshops, obviously, drama workshops and different activities, but he did a lovely piece called Then and Now. There's a nice little film about his relationship to the uh, growing up in that kind of environment. Um, and he went around relocating the pic- where the pictures are. And there is a literally, yeah, one of those zoop zoop. You zoom across, zoom back then and now. And actually, it's a really nice piece. Um, and I'm uh, just about to do a, a press release about that because it's a kind of thing I think a local, you know, Express and Star might just pick up on. We uh, yeah, in this dead time after the New Year, they haven't got much news to report locally. We'll see. We'll just push the stuff out and see what happens. Um, and yeah who knows, maybe Midlands today will go, come on, let's go and film you. When we did the project in 2014, we had quite a lot of film uh, TV coverage, interestingly, going down into the archives. And maybe they'll pick up on that again. It's not essential, because they're not the only game in town anymore, as you know. Um, But yeah, we'll just start pushing it out, you know. Send it off to Arts Guardian and see if they ever respond, who knows. But sometimes you've just got to follow people's Twitter feeds and start bombarding them with stuff a little bit to get anywhere um so that'll just carry on we'll just carry on pushing stuff out um the archives themselves one of the uh, we had we made a self-portrait book as part of the exhibition quite a big a big big coffee table book of some of the portraits was beautifully produced a big thick thing um that's on show at the archives um now and they've been using different They've got a few display cases, and they've been pulling out stuff. So, for example, at May, they may well pull out some of the May Day festival pictures, and they'll continue to kind of um, make little mini exhibitions because um, it's good material, and it, it they always get a good res- uh, they always get a good response to it from visitors coming to Smithwick Library. So, um, there'll be little kind of those little initiatives. Um, the then and now, it's Sanwell's 50th anniversary this year actually in April will be their 50th year of a, as a Metropolitan Borough Council and Jack and the web designer are actually going to have a conversation with the museums about the idea of doing a then and now from 1974 to now um, for Sanwell as part of their, their uh, events calendar to celebrate their 50th birthday. That um, that might that, Something might come of that, we'll see. That's really up to them to follow forward. So it's nice that people are thinking forward ideas. Um, and uh, yeah, the museums are basically saying, have you got any more ideas? Because we had really good responses to the exhibition. So we'll see. We'll see what we might come up with. But,
0: but it's good to know that the, the, the whole process of documenting has acted as a catalyst for further activity now and in the future.
1: Yeah, there's always more work you can do with that because there's always people that will come up with a new a new idea, um, and it's nice that, uh, for example, one of the art uh, Dale Hipkiss, one of the two artists who worked on the project, actually has been commissioned by Multi Story, a local arts group. Uh, one of the Phoenixes that rose from the ashes in the late, two, uh, late 2000s. Um mainly working with photography, they're kind of branching out to more visual arts. And he's actually been selected as uh, one of the artists that they're going to work with, uh, with Wolfhampton uh, Art College in the next six months or so. So again, it's nice that there's these are the connections that are kind of coming together, uh, not directly as a result of being involved with the archive, but um, it's it's helped the process, smooth the wheels a little bit.
0: But a but network has spread out from the process of archiving, in effect, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much, Brendan. That was really interesting, and it's really heartening to know that that all the activity in the past is actually serving both as a kind of fertilizer for future activity and a catalyst for making certain that this activity understands its own history. So, thank you very much. Yeah, I think what's 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 interesting for for me
1: looking back over yeah what forty years, thirty years, is that. Times are a little harder now. Funding's harder to get, so it's really interesting that artists are uh, are looking at, as in Hipcus and Granny, working with some actually some very basic materials that you know bits of cardboard, stuff that's been chucked out, and and collaborating more because actually you know not everyone can have their avid video suite anymore uh, in their bedroom. That people are, are are collaborating more and sh- sharing their resources more. I think which is I think an interesting. Uh, encouraging to see from younger artists, for mm.
0: sure. I agree. Okay, thanks for now, and we'll get back to you at some point in the not too distant future. Thanks, Brendan. Cheers, medias. Now that you've heard the podcast you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The website's at meow.net. That's M-I-A-W dot net. See you there.